Hi everyone, I'm JJ Hornblast and welcome to The Buzz from Bank Automation News, where we cover what's happening in banking automation technology. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in our industry uh, as of April 30, 2021. Uh, before we get into it, I want to thank Bank Automation News advertisers, NARMI and MX, for their support. So thank you to both of those uh, sponsors. Pleased to be joined by Lorraine Lawson and Jaspreet Kalra from the Bank Automation News team. Welcome to both of you. We're going to start with some general technology news. Uh, combined revenue at Amazon, Apple, Alpha, Alphabet, excuse me. Microsoft and Facebook, the, um, I guess what used to be called the FANG group, hit 1.2 trillion uh, this year, um, up 25% uh, from March, 2020. That's in the first quarter alone. And they benefited from what has been described as a perfect positive storm for those technology companies. Robinhood, the, pro the popular stock trading app, is now using JP Morgan Chase to handle money transfers into customers' accounts. Previously, it had used Sutton Bank, a community lender in North Central Ohio with eight branches uh, for, that, uh, for those transactions. Jeff Bezos uh, said yesterday that prime video streaming hours are up uh, more than 70% on a year-over-year -year basis, with more than 175 million prime members having streamed TV shows and movies in the past year. And in banking automation industry news, data shows that 58% uh, of banks are currently using automation on a wide scale, a rate that's lower than the 67% across all industries. And that's according to a new study that was released uh, this week and that we reported on. Lorraine, why is it that uh, banks are not at par with other industries when it comes to automation uh, at a wide scale? Well, it's interesting. You know, this study was by Accenture. Um, they said there are a number of reasons, including a shortage of talent, a lack of clear automation strategy, legacy applications that lack necessary computing power, for instance, and data silos. Which of those do you think is the greatest uh, cause of this deficiency? Good question. <clears throat> I would guess that uh, it's a little bit legacy applications and a little bit shortage of talent. And those things probably go together. Um, I do see smaller banks and community banks, for instance, doing small automations, digitalization, using digitalization platforms. And they're only able to go so far and one of the reasons I was talking to an analyst today, he said, you know, how far they go depends on how um, modern their core system is and how well they're able to integrate with it to automate. 
But I mean, you, you, we've seen more technology being introduced that allows financial institutions to deal with uh, legacy core systems in various ways. So I, I'm not sure that, I wonder, I guess I'm, I'm asking the both of you, I wonder whether that will be less of an issue as we go forward over the next couple of years. Do, do either of you have a sense for that, agree or disagree with that, that sentiment? I do hear of a lot of banks now ripping out their cores and replacing them with new API enabled cores. Um, and recently Fiserv, you know, had their earnings report and they, they talked about that they had sold roughly half, which they only sold 10, but <laughs> roughly half or half were uh, DNA servers for platforms, I mean. Um, and that is an API enabled platform. So mm -hmm. it's definitely something I think banks are moving towards. Jasper, do you have a view on this? Yeah, I mean, so from whatever I've read about it and sort of reported on, I would say that it's a moment of transition for those core banking systems, but it's not happening as fast as perhaps some people would like for it to happen. So I think that is going to move forward, but yet again, at the same time, implementing automation and being excited by it are two very different things. So once you get excited about the technology, you sometimes realize that it doesn't work as well as we expected it to. So I think that's also why we're seeing some of those gaps wherein people sort of wanted to jump on the train, but they jumped a little too soon. Now they have going to sort of pull back and see what works best. Yeah, I, I wonder whether that will, um, you know, maintain a, a, a less steep trajectory for adoption going forward because of these hiccups. I mean, we saw that in... Um, at, at our conference uh, just uh, this month, uh, how uh, you know the how how some of the implementations have fallen short. Um, uh, Citibank was a, a was one example of, a, of an institution where maybe some of the automation initiatives didn't exactly meet their expectations. Um, I guess you could look at the. 58% to 67% in two ways, you know, maybe that it's close, maybe that it's not. Um, and uh, I, I guess that the, the, the reason why I, it strikes me is that as compared to other industries, not every industry has the same volume of opportunities for automation. Um, if you're... Uh, if you're selling ice cream, uh, you, you know, maybe you don't, you still have to hand the ice cream cone to the customer. It's hard to automate that as it were. It's a bad example, but you get the point <laughs> I'm trying to make. Um, but in banking, there is ample opportunity, ample opportunity. And so I, I, I these factors, I, I guess if we had to, uh, if we were, if the three of us were forced to make a decisive, uh, prediction. Do we think that when we're sitting together in a year that uh, banking will match the industry-wide automation uh, rates or no? Lorraine, you could start with that in incredibly impossible question. <laughs> so I think there are a couple of things to know. One is, you know, banks are starting out behind and they're playing catch up. So Will they be on par 
I doubt it because the other companies are advancing even as the banks are catching up. But another thing to consider is that technology in general does go through a hype cycle. Um, you know, that where there's sort of starts out and there are early adopters and then it has a peak of inflated expectations. And right after that, it takes a deep dive into what's called the trough of disillusionment where people are like, this does not deliver on all the marketing hype. Um, then slowly they pick back up and it eventually sort of plateau into a level of productivity that's somewhere between the trigger event and the peak uh, in inflated expectations uh, peak. So that's something to consider too, that, that there's going to be a period where banks are disappointed with automation and they may not you know, invest in it as much, but eventually it'll level back out. Yes, Preet? Sort of the way I look at it, and I'm gonna reference a book I was recently reading by first analyst Greg Leclerc, in, in which he talks about the future of work at automation-centric enterprises will be much like what a centaur looks like. So half man, half horse, whereas, the half horse part is easier to do. It's just rules-based tasks that RPA can do. And then you have the half man, which is the customer experience side, the emotional side, and the trust side, which is going to remain human focused. The exciting part is where the human meets the horse. That midriff where AI is being implemented, where intelligent automations are being implemented. I think we'll see banks use a lot more of that as compared to say manufacturing enterprises that have figured out how to successfully automate much of how to make a car. You still need human inspectors on site, but the machine knows how to move things around now. So there isn't a lot more left to do there. So I think you might see sort of a convergence going forward, but I totally agree with Lorraine on that as well, that the speed might just be something that's part of a technology hype cycle, that sometimes your expectations are just higher because you think the technology works better than it does. Yeah, I'm going to cheat on my answer. I'm going to say uh, it's not going to be in a year, but it'll be it'll take about two to three years. And it's just because things tend to move slower in financial services, largely because of the regulatory regime under which it operates. Sorry for cheating to the both of you. The next story, uh, the next uh, news that came out also this week was uh, related to a study um, and this is that losses from digital payments fraud, uh, or I guess fraud in digital payments in e-commerce um, are expected to exceed $20 billion this year. Jesper, give us some additional background on this study and, and uh, Let's talk about like where the automation solutions are available in order to um, maybe stem some of these fraud losses. Sure. So, I mean, what the study, what the study largely explored was that there's been an absolute boom in e-commerce transactions over the last year and a half, and we all know why. But at the same time, the most critical element for any fraudster or any sort of malevolent actor is the financial gain. And which is why those payment trails become so important. And increasingly what we're seeing as a trend across the sort of sector is theft of digital identity because identity has become so central to every transaction you make. So every time you swipe a card or you pay with your Apple phone, each time it links back to you. So all a fraudster has to do is either steal your credit card account number or your social security card, and then just go forward with those transactions. And 
what gets really fleshed out in this sort of exploration is that these credentials are available for sale as little as for about as little as $15 on the dark web. So you can go to the dark web, buy PayPal credentials for $15 and make a merry time out of it. Now, what comes to sort of stopping these sort of activities, machine learning and AI are sort of really important and emerging is really important linchpins for stopping this sort of activity because of a thing called behavioral biometrics. Now, not to get too technical, but most people create a digital fingerprint much in the same way we have actual fingerprints. So your keystroke activity will be significantly different than my keystroke activity, or your the devices that you use will be significantly different from the devices that I use. So detecting those patterns and processing that sort of large scale data can help flag some patterns. But at the same time, as is always the case, bad guys tend to stay a step ahead of the good guys. So you're also seeing deep fakes, which is basically digitally altered videos and photographs being used to circumvent KYC systems. There is limited data available on what the scale of this problem is, but at the same time, it is possible for people who really want to, to fake credentials and get through the systems without triggering any alarms. So I think this is gonna be a very sort of important focus area going forward, because as more and more of our activities become digital, the first frontier is going to be how to protect individual identity for customers and the second frontier being how to ensure that you can monitor someone's activity without, you know, over collecting that data or make or, or cutting into that sort of privacy sphere that the customer enjoys whenever they're making a purchase on the internet. The mechanics of the, well, let, let, let's just say this first. 20 billion doesn't seem actually like a lot considering the the volume of e-commerce and the growth. Mm -hmm. um, are we making too much of this or is is the issue not the the top line dollar number but more the potential for uh, that number to increase considering, you know, for example, identities available on the dark web. I mean, so probably sort of two-pronged here. If you look at, say, Western Europe or the US, a lot of companies, a lot of banks have moved very extensively to implement anti-fraud, anti-ML measures, whereas China, which is going to be the biggest, is the biggest e-commerce market, has very limited controls in place, and a lot of new retailers are joining the online space. A lot of your local restaurants, a lot of your local retailers are now trying to create an online presence for themselves. Mm -hmm. As compared to, say, an Amazon or as compared to, say, an eBay, they don't have the resources to invest that much in fraud management. So I think those relationships also and those sort of risks are also proportional. That for someone who has a bottom line or a profit of $5,000, losing $3,000 to fraud would mean really disastrous consequences. Well, sure, I mean, as compared to the overall e-commerce e -commerce value, this might be a limited figure, which I think is a good thing but it also has the potential to expand going forward because we know that it's not like any sort of malevolent actor would walk away from the field saying, oh, this is too little money to be made or this is not a big enough sort of a field. So I think it's, this, is, this is sort of going to be a developing debate. But if you look at just the pure numbers, sure, the problem seems contained right now. It's not a fast spreading virus going around. You get the sense that um, there is, is there a fear that they'll, that they'll be, that they'll, that fraudsters will develop the ability to 
acquire those biometric footprint data elements? Uh, not, not currently. I mean, I don't know if people are buying wholesale digital footprints just to, you know, impersonate someone else on the internet. That would be a much larger scale of exercise and you would want to do, I mean, not, not talking as a criminal here, but you would want to do more things with a digital footprint than just make an Amazon purchase. So stealing a part of that footprint allows you to make a financial gain. Stealing that entire footprint allows you to basically be a dog on the internet and pretend that you're a cat. So, so those are going to be, that's, that's a much more risky area. That's a much more sort of um, minefield laden area. But at current stages, you're not seeing a lot of activity where people's entire identities are being stolen. It'll either be a social security number or a credit card number, or even just an email account that gets compromised. Mm -hmm. And we all know how many times we've sent password reconfirmation or reset requests to our email IDs. So I think it all links up in the end, which is why some good cyber hygiene is just a good practice to have across the board. Right. Okay. Um, Lorraine, what do we have uh, planned for next week? Well, we have a five questions with Citizens Bank. Uh, this is where we delve into uh, sort of a profile of that person. And uh, we may be looking at patents next week. Good. I would also encourage everyone to check out uh, to yesterday's podcast featuring uh, Stuart Tarmi, right? Tarmi, yes. Tarmi of Aerospike. Very interesting on uh, what might allow for AI and ML to adoption to drive higher. And uh, we also want to encourage you to visit us at bankautomationnews.com and to follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you so much for joining us on The Buzz. We'll see you next time.